Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today I have a friend calling in from New York City. His name is Charles Bush. He's been on Broadway for a long, long time. Welcome, Charles. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Wonderful to see you. We were talking about creativity, and when you started this journey out, did you think you would be where you're at now with the creativity that's been in your career? All my life, my, my earliest memories, I was involved in some sort of creative mode, you know, a drawing or want, wanting to perform or writing. It was always such a huge part of my life that there was no question that I would just continue doing this and that I would find a way to to make that focus of my entire life. Where were you born and what's your family like and what's your lineage? I'm about as much a New Yorker as anyone can be. I was born here in New York City, lived here all my life, except for the brief period when I went to uh, college. I went to Northwestern University in uh, Illinois, and then I lived in Chicago for about two years after I graduated, but then came back here and can't get out. I've just so always, always been here, and it seemed the, the right place for someone who wanted a career in the theater, and, and then my family being here. And, um, my, uh, I guess the, the first big event of, of my life was that my mother died when I was seven years old. And that seems to have been a, a very, like, oh, I think, you know, with just about every, every person I know who lost a parent at an early age, like, it sort of marks them. And I think that was a key event. Everything I've done since then, I can see some sort of connection to that. You've seen a lot, obviously, if you lived in New York City. When I lived up there, I knew a couple writers trying to get on Broadway. It's a very, very tough industry. The toughest, I would think, in entertainment. Uh, now, I, I've been very, very fortunate. Well, for one thing, you know, I, um, I'd always wanted to be in theater. I, I, somehow, I was always writing, although the focus when I was very young was the idea was to be an actor. And then and then I was taken to um, Broadway. I was re really raised by my aunt, my mother's older sister. My Aunt Lillian was a huge influence in my life. And she um, started taking me to the theater at eight years old. And then when I got... But I, uh, when I got to Northwestern and I was in the theater department there and, and I was never cast in a play and it just seemed that... Uh, you know, I was just not right. I was this rather androgynous uh, young young kid, and I and the thing was that I, I, there in those days in the early seventies there were no roles written for you know a, a gay kid. You know, there we didn't have Angels in America, or Torts on Trilogy, or all these plays, and and so I, I couldn't really fit myself into. Um, any other kind of role, so I was never cast. And then I thought there were, really weren't any roles I. I was desperate to play and I began, uh, and since I always was writing, then I, I thought, well, I, if, if I'm going to have a career, I'll have to write roles for myself. And that's, I have a pretty pragmatic mind. And so I thought that this is, this is the path that, that I'll take. And so um, uh, I started, you know, and, and I felt that, uh, well, I, I'm sort of skipping ahead. I had seen the work of a very fascinating writer, performer, 
director uh, named Charles Ludlam, who was uh, very influential. And uh, and I, when I went to see his his theater company that he had, where it had elements of of cl- classic film in his plays and and opera. Uh, there were men playing female characters and all that so resonated with me and he, he was a big influence. So, and I, and I saw that what made me kind of un- seem unemployable was actually, could actually be what, what um, is my, my path. How many no's did you get trying to get your first break? Almost none, to be quite honest. I mean, I had, I had 10 years of being, uh, my first career was as a solo performer where I would, um, I, I did these pieces where I played all the different characters in the story and I didn't change costume. I would just change, you know, voices and they were these rather elaborate narratives. And, and that was very difficult. And I, I never could really, I never had management. So I, I booked myself at small nonprofit theaters around the country. And, and it, that was really my, my apprenticeship for about 10 years. So, yeah, so, I, so there were a number of no's there, but, but I, I was still kind of in charge of my own destiny. You know, I would, just try to book myself at these different theaters around the country. And so, and and I got some validation that I wasn't deranged, that I, that this is the right road to take. Uh, and then I, I just by chance, my life has really been ruled by, by chance and um, kind of creating my own luck in a sense, by putting myself in situations where, where luck might find me. So uh, in 1984, after about 10 years of doing this, and I, I guess I was 30, I put on a little play just just for the fun of it. It was about forty minutes long at a after after hours bar slash art gallery in a very funky part of, of New York, the uh, in the East Village called Alphabet City. That was uh, kind of the the area where Madonna and the artist Keith Haring came out of that period in the eighties, and it was a hot place to be. So. Um, when I put, I wrote this play, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, just as a, a kind of a sketch to to do for two nights in this bar, and I got all my different friends of mine that I knew from different parts of my life together, had them in this little play, and and it took off. I was in the right place at the right time, and it just took off, and and we uh, produced the show ourselves at a regular theater off Broadway, and it became big hit, and ran for five years, and that really established me overnight overnight success after 11 years as a writer performer and so i i really my career mostly has really been off broadway and i and i didn't uh, as far as broadway goes i was content with with the career that i had it, you know it's perfectly fine i supported myself so i wasn't always thinking though the big dream is to be on broadway that was not but then circumstances happened where I was asked to to write the book to a, a musical that was uh, being um, going to be produced by a nonprofit theater called Manhattan Theater Club, which is very one of the main nonprofit theaters here in well, in, well, in the United States, I'd say. And I wrote, wrote the book to this musical, which was not particularly well received. I established a very good relationship with Lynn Meadow, who's the artistic director of this important nonprofit theater. And so she said, when the fairly negative reviews of this musical came out, she said to me, I'd, I'd like to produce your next play, whatever it is. So I, I, I wrote a, a play that I thought would be suitable for her theater, which was rather, you know, um, very, I don't know, what would you want to say it, a traditional kind of type theater. Yeah, subscriber theater, you know, with an older audience, a well-heeled audience. My plays up till then really had been uh, these Hollywood pastiche 
homage homages to uh, old old movies with myself, you know, in the female lead and drag. I thought, well, I should. That's not you know, going to go over at Manhattan Theater Club. So I, I wrote a, a more conventional play called "The Tale of the Allergist Wife" about a, a New York family. This woman, Marjorie Taub, who's this culturally striving, very, very frustrated middle-aged woman, and uh, Lynn really liked the play, and so uh, we got a wonderful cast: Linda Lavin and Michelle Lee and Tony Roberts, and uh, it opened at Manhattan Theater Club, and they uh, and it got great reviews, and and then it was decided to um, to move it to Broadway shortly after it opened at the Barrymore Theater, and it was you know, a big success, and and it's the longest it was the longest running. What did they tell me? Longest running comedy on Broadway, twenty eight years or something like that. And it was, but 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 I tell this long story and just that it was not my goal. So I so I I didn't have a lot of doors slammed in my face because I I didn't put myself in that situation. You know, um, as a writer actor, I had my own company. Mm-hmm. So we you know raised the money ourselves to be off Broadway, and and then you know once that was established, um, I was able to write new plays uh, at various nonprofit theaters, and then we would transfer them off Broadway, you know, for commercial run. And and so I, I've been very fortunate that way. And I, I feel like I, I did pay my dues for those first 11 years. Once Vampire Lesbians of Sodom established me, it's um, I've done what I've wanted to do. A couple of things stand out to me. Controlling your own narrative and staying authentic to yourself. Coming up in the time you came up, being gay, did you think there was more of a pure source and direction and, and not letting these exterior things bother you during your career? It's funny, I keep using the same word, fortunate. Um, one thing, I, I, I'm i first generation post Stonewall. I didn't know, and I grew up in New York City, see, in a very liberal environment. So I, I wasn't really expo- exposed to um, terrible um, prejudice against gay people or, you know, I didn't have to... A, ter- a strict religious background that would that would could provide all sorts of complications, and I, you know I had a supportive family. Um, you know I'm I'm a lucky fella. You know um, the the big event of my youth, of course, was was the AIDS crisis, which in a way was the you know um, how some of our, our the way our parents think of World War II for my my generation of gay person that was our war. You know mm-hmm. that we went through for those years, and and we suffered so many losses and you know key members of my theater company died of aids and um so many people i knew and that that was really the um you know a, a huge part of my my experience but i never had um coming out gay was not a was sort of a non-event i never came out because everybody i guess <laughs> assumed <you know? laughs> and the choices i've made I have to say one one thing. Um, it's so funny. I'm I'm coming off like oh boy. People think well, he sure has had an easy time of it. But um, it, I I one thing I was raised in a great way is that I I was never. It was just not part of my thinking. What will people think? Part of my personality. I was not. I guess I wasn't raised that way. Or I think it's really just me. Frankly, I think it's just in my head. So you know, when people ask me, oh, or say, oh, that was very brave of you to to perform it, you know, to start performing in drag. So brave. It didn't occur to me as being brave. It just, I thought it was just fun to do. I love these old movie actresses and I, and I able to somehow embody them that naturally this is what I'll, what, what I, what I'll do. It didn't occur to me like, Oh gosh, do I dare? What will people think? You know, I've, I've been 
free of that. I think there's a lesson to learn there because I always have this saying, I think right now society feeds off what they see. When you feed off what you see, you continue to create opinions and controversy. But if you create your own environment with a new idea, you eliminate those opinions and controversy. Because you are sure of yourself, and I think some people let these stereotypes affect their lives, and they really don't have to if they stay pure with themselves. I think in a way, you said you're lucky. Maybe it's a pattern more people should follow and be authentic to themselves. Yeah, yes, I mean, I think I think there are, are lessons people could, could, could glean from my experience. Uh, don't be so concerned what people will think. Uh, have try to have faith in your your own eccentricity, whatever it is about you that, that maybe disturbs people. Perhaps that's who you really are and cultivate it. People don't realize too, by law of attraction, if you're an authentic, pure source, I think you will be successful. And by law of attraction, you attract the right people without trying. Yes, I, I was, one thing I think uh, was was great was that all the, when I started, um, particularly when we started our theater company, all the people were, were we, we attracted a talented group of people. Um, we sought them out and sought them out. You know, uh, the friends that, that my, my, uh, well, my roommate, Ken, Ken Elliott, w w directed our, our company and um, really pr produced and directed. Um, and I was in a way that I couldn't have done. And Ken was very, Ken had a wonder, it was very talented and also um, just, just very no nonsense and direct and knew how to put on a show and, and get things done. So um, I, one good thing that's happened to me, and it started off with, with my aunt when I was, you know, who, who adopted me, was that um, I, there's always been somebody in my life that has great energy and great powers of concentration. You know, I, I and, and it seems that, and they're attracted to, to my very fertile imagination, and they've all, I've been helped each each step of the way with uh, a sequence a sequence of people who just have great focus and have somehow um, been attracted to me and wa wanted to help me and got great satisfaction out of it uh, out of do doing that i think it's very hard to find a true talent first of all first. and you got to have the right people around you to recognize that talk about departmentalizing your mind this gay sensibility doing drag how are we going to put these pieces together that's going to make a great show that's a tremendous talent what goes through your head putting all these pieces together and departmentalizing a show from your perspective to put on a show or write a play whatever that is from your thought process like a dream that Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You just somehow um, need to, to make real. Um, you know, often a lot of the, the parts I wrote for myself, those plays would come about with a bit of a, just me thinking, oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful to, to be, um, be a character like out of a, in a, in a 1940s uh, anti-Nazi war melodrama. I'd like to play this very, very brittle, gl- glamorous uh, American concert pianist. And she somehow gets uh, mixed up with, uh, she's touring Bavaria in 1940 and, and gets mixed up in a plot to, to rescue a, a anti-Nazi ac- actress, you know, from a Nazi prison. And, you know, I, so wouldn't that be, oh, I'd love to play that kind of part. And then my talent is that I can actually put it on paper. And then my other talent is the gift I had was that I have these friends that I think are very talented and I write roles for them. Oh, wouldn't it be fun for, oh, I'd like to have Julie play my sidekick who who I knew back in our vaudeville days. And, and now she's a, a, a countess and but that'd be a good part for Julie. And Owen oh, and Arnie, he could play the young American who who's uh, enlists me in this wild you know, uh, plan. And Oh, and Owen oh, Ken could be, well, oh, Ken could be the Nazi Baron. Oh, and he'd be funny in that part. And that, and then it all happens and, and then we do it. You may be a Claire sentient as well, feeling that, understanding that for yourself. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I have many feelings like that. I, I know I don't really discuss it or, or anything, but um, yeah, I mean, some, sometimes I really do feel like I was uh, reincarnated from, from an, somebody in an earlier time because, uh, you know, when I, by the time I was nine years old, I was drawing these cross sections of a of a bordello with all the all the different prostitutes hanging around, and it seemed. I know I'd seen movies, but I don't know if I'd really seen the paintings of Toulouse Lautrec yet. And uh, I don't know. And and then I I just felt such an affinity for when I would read um, as a young kid, look these these picture books of stars of the 19th century, stage stars from the 19th century, and and just feel such a kinship or just fascinated. I think that's a feel to be able to recognize character if you know yourself and the ability to be able to feel that and be able to find this, this feeling, be able to find this feeling of a character. A feeling with this character here with certain sensibilities and a feeling with this character here with certain sensibilities. A lot of people can't do that. I think that's a very limited individual. Well, I think the other thing is I, I noticed that, and this helped me with this this memoir that I, I just finished. It's I, I post a lot on face Facebook, and my my book really was helped by um, my Facebook posts. And, and I, I'm just the most marvelous, you know, uh, Facebook friends who have been so encouraging. And I I would write a chapter and then edit it down and post it on Facebook and see what the reaction was. And and often people comment that, oh, you're, you're, you have so many stories and your your life is so fascinating. And I don't know, I, I kind of think everybody's life is really interesting, but I do have a gift for narrative. All my life, I think while I'm while I'm in the experience, I'm already shaping it as an anecdote. Yeah. And, 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 and often I would throw myself into experiences knowing that it's going to be a good story. I was just going to say the name of the book is Leading Lady, a memoir of an unusual boy. What should we expect from the book? I know we walked through a few things about your career. A hopefully inspiring story about somebody who uh, uh, who didn't seem the obvious choice to have to have a full career, you know, in, in show business and made it happen for for himself. Built the door and walked through it. 
a lot of people are scared to do that. I really have had a rather unique career in that I've, I've been embraced by the uh, drag world, but also the theater world. And so, uh, and they come together in the oddest ways. I mean, I, I'm sometimes, um, because I've played so many female roles, sometimes I'm just accepted as, as an actress. One of the, the big uh, events every year they have, through uh, Broadway, the group Broadway Cares is, uh, oh, they have this thing called, uh, I don't know whether it's called, they keep changing, exchanging the names, but uh, oh, like the, um, I think it used to be called Gypsy of the Year, and now it's called, I think, Red, Red Ribbon something. I don't know. They've changed because the word gypsy isn't cool anymore. So, uh, any, anyway, and a lot of, lot of it, there's a lot of famous people, you know, on the bill. And so one year I arrived and they t- uh, took me to a, dress- a group dressing room at the theater. And I was the first to get there and I'm unpacking my stuff. I was with my friend Carl and uh, get my stuff. And then in walks uh, Carol Burnett and Carol Channing <laughs> and Betty Buckley and all these famous actresses. And I, I thought, I, am I in the right room? And they, you know, they just put me in with all the all the, the ladies. And uh, I thought that, that was kind of amusing. Somebody just took me at face value. In, in a way, I, I made a certain choice to, to not be in show business because when I've actually done things, Things were, oh, you know, I, I wrote the book to a the the you know the book to this musical called Taboo that Rosie O'Donnell produced on Broadway. It was the music was by um, uh, Boy George, and that was real showbiz. And I was really miserable doing doing that. And then there was no, there were a number of years where um, I sold all these different. I pitched and sold different. TV pilots to CBS and HBO and Showtime. And I had a very, since I didn't really care, I wasn't nervous at all. So I, I would just go in and see these different vice presidents and act out this idea for a sitcom. And and I had a 100% track record that that they bought each one. But I, didn't, you know, I don't think I was very good at it because when I would then write the actual pilot uh, after they paid me, uh, it, it was okay and nothing was ever shot. I never had even a pilot made, let alone a show on the air. But I just didn't like it. I got a kick out of the idea that I could fool them and, and get the deal. But it was not a world that I, I enjoyed. And I just preferred, you know, I earned my very nice living um, doing my having my theater company and putting on doing my plays, you know, off Broadway. And actually, when I had my big, bro- my one big Broadway hit, The Allergist Wife, that really wasn't so show busy. You know, it all kind of came about through, you know, sort of Lynn Meadow at Manhattan Theater Club really, you know, being fond of me and liking what I did. And, you know, it, it wasn't um, a big or, ordeal. And, and there were all sorts of people interfering and demanding rewrites. And, you know, I, I didn't have to compromise to try to please a bunch of vice presidents. No game had to be played. And that's what I tend to associate with, with show business, that there are all sorts of people having to justify their, their employment. Yes, and you've got to play this game of, uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll give in to that dumb idea because it's not too destructive. And that way, maybe if I give in to that, I'll, uh, I can hold on to the, the more important one idea what's that about so i i just gradually um i kind of removed myself from what i call show business and just stayed in in the theater and even the you know the, i've made a series of of movies over the years in indie films 
uh, Psycho Beach Party, Die, Mommy, Die. I have a new movie that we're hoping will be released soon called The Sixth Reel. And, and even those movies were not really show busy. They weren't, you know, big corporate affairs. They were small films that, for the most part, nobody interfered with us. They just, you know, I, I don't want to give this person's name, but I recently was talking to uh, their legendary lady, lady who's had a, you know, a, extraordinary career for decades and decades and and i think we were chatting and i could tell by the silence on the other line that she thought i was just from a whole different planet if executive realized they have a great talent and has this pure source narrative if that narrative comes out from a pure source and i go back to law of attraction it's going to be exponential and I understand what you're saying I think studios need to recognize that, reverse engineer the process, give a talent an outline, let the creative be who they are. When you get in that commercial space, you get 20 people in the room to dilute the process. Right. I suspect what goes on with the, when we do see shows on television that are really original, I suspect that that, that producer that or that writer has paid their, their dues, you know, mm-hmm. and... and uh, and have finally gotten to a position where, where for the most part, they're left alone. How you get like, you know, White Lotus or some of these shows. I, I, I don't really watch a lot of those TV, but from what I, I hear, a lot of shows that are very interesting and, and, and have a very idiosyncratic point of view, that that person paid a lot of dues. Uh, until they got the powerful enough to just have their vision. But I, I was never willing to pay the dues. I've had a good life. That's all, all I care about. People, people who love me and, you know, close to me and, uh, and I earn my living, you know, just I've, I've had a good life. I hope that's conveyed in my, in my book, Amazon, wherever fine books are sold. Um, that is kind of the, you know, I'm, I'm not the most famous person. I've got a strange kind of fame that um, to the majority of the public, I'm totally unknown. And yet to a, a rather small coterie, I, uh, I'm loved intensely. You're like the original, original drag queen. Uh, I think it's something I read. Consider that I'm sort of the godmother of drag you know i'm i'm kind of embraced by this drag community if there is one but um but i'm i've never you know i've never performed i've never lip-synced a song or or performed in a club my my drag has been solely um performing different series of characters in my plays and movies you know i don't i don't have a one persona like a you know with a a name you know um i i play a different character in every every play but but in a way what's what's what i've found been discovering that a number of these these um famous rupaul drag race queens um the first time they were ever in drag were in in local productions of my plays around the country i have a new play that we're going to do um next uh winter it's a joint production between two theaters this very lovely theater in in new brunswick called the george street playhouse we do it there for a few weeks and then we move it nonprofit in new york called primary stages theater company so uh that was i am a little, little nervous about it it's a very big part i've written for myself and uh it'll be a number of years since i've done a play and so i i've been memorizing lines start i started memorizing lines four months ago but i'm gonna show up that first day perfect what's your daily life like just normal things you do been so much time uh, too much time because it's, it's not it's not good for me 
um, too much time sitting here at this uh, computer writing. I, I think just the, I've, I really have discovered, I think my favorite thing ever to do, and I, and I just can go on for hours and hours is when I've written something just, and it's already, it's already basically done. I can just spend hours going in and changing one word and changing it back, putting it back in, changing it. And I, I just, uh, find it endlessly fascinating. You know, I, I live in the most beautiful neighborhood. You know, I've, I live here in, in Greenwich Village. You know, it's an area, Appington Square, and it's, it's it's almost like you're living in Paris. It's it's so beautiful. And I've lived here really almost my whole life. When I was a kid, I would, when I was in high school, I would come down to this area and walk around and dream that someday I'll live here. And then I, my first apartment um, was in the, around the corner in a real uh, beautiful street, in, like the one crummy building. And I lived there for a while. And then I was able to, to um, after about 15 years, move into a much nicer building where I am, am now. And so I've, I've really only lived in basically, except for when I went to college, which I don't really count. I've only lived in three different apartments my entire life. Yeah, so I, mean, I love this neighborhood and I lead a rather quite quiet kind of life. But I, I um, I've been going out more often now. I'm trying to trying to just, you know say yes to everything. It's I can easily slip into a kind of reclusive uh, Miss Havisham kind of way. But I'm I'm fight, fighting that inclination. And basically, um, anybody who says, "Oh, you want to go out to dinner next week?" Yep, I'll go there. I'll be. <laughs> I can go hide in a room and not have anybody around in work and feel great. But if I'm around multiple energies or whatever, sometimes that throws me off. So I can definitely understand being a reclusive. I can be both the life of the party and I can also be very kind of um, inward, shut down kind of person too. I I, don't, I never know which one's going to pop up, but I, I, you know, I am a performer. So usually if I'm in a, I'm in a group, you know, I, um, I perk up and yeah. try to be the, the best Charles Bush I could be. But, nice. but I'm also, I'm, I've all my life, I, I'm one of the world's great self-amusers. I, I can spend a lot of time not feel lonely. Occasionally, once in a while, I feel pangs of loneliness. But um, for the most part, yeah, I just, there's always something to, to draw or to write or to know, dream. I think more people need to take that advice and more people would be happier. And if they didn't let the outside influences affect you and be true to yourself. Well, I definitely think people can learn something from you. And this has been the great Charles Bush. And my name's John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.